Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to episode 28 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. Today, my guest is Giovanna Otavolo. She's owner of Tiny Dusk's Tiny Tusks Doulas. She is a birth and postpartum doula and a childbirth educator. Her service area is within 30 miles of Schaumburg. Welcome, Giovanna. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, can you just introduce yourself and then the ages and if you're comfortable, the names of your children? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So thanks for the warm intro. Um, As you mentioned, birth worker in the Chicagoland area since 2014 and an educator for 20 years prior to that. So I feel like I've been supporting families for a very long time. Um, Mom to two boys and a boy puppy. Um, They are 24 and nine and who most folks get to hear about is my nine-year-old because he was my reason and inspiration for transitioning out of the education field and into supporting families as a birth worker. Okay. So when you say you were an educator, it was as a teacher, not like a childbirth educator. Correct. Yes. I was a teacher for five and a half years and then I was in administration um, at the university level for about 15 years. Oh, wow. Okay, great. What did you teach? Preschool. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. So I went from little kids to university level to now babies and parents. Yeah, but that is so important. My high school had a daycare and that's where I actually started like doing daycare. And then I actually went to a vocational school for junior and senior, senior year for childcare, which at the time was super um, acceptable. So I basically wasn't in high school for most of my junior and senior year because I was at the college learning about um, early childhood development. But then it was awesome because like I was exposed to all these people around, I was from, I'm from Lake County, all these people around the County too. So it was an awesome experience. I wouldn't trade it. The only problem is that I probably lost track with a lot of people during high school because of it. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I thank you for bringing that up because that was my first intro to being a teacher was our high school also had a daycare center. And as one of the electives, you could, you know, go volunteer in that center. And so really my experience with toddlers started when I was probably 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Same here. I was like 15 years old. I was young. Yeah. Yeah, I knew then that that was kind of my my sweet spot. I know. And it's actually, it's interesting. I'm just thinking now like, oh, I wonder if there's any schools that still do that. Cause it was quite a while ago um, that they were doing that, but it was such a rich experience to have. It was super safe. And then, you know, the parents got freedom for three hours from, you know, to bring their kids and drop them off. And it's such a great opportunity for learning. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. Very good. Uh, if you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? Um, very much gentle parenting, follow attachment style, not at all how I envisioned myself being. Um, when I was in higher level administration, I was, um, I'm a type A personality, so I was very much a stickler, follower of the rules, um, more author- authoritarian in my leadership style. And then my child um, taught me a lot and guided me in a different direction as a parent. Okay. 
So what does gentle parenting mean to you? Because I've had a lot of people bring it up on the podcast and then speculate that people don't even know what it means. And I, so, I think it's an interesting, it's come up a lot. So I think it's a great conversation yeah. to have as somebody who's actually doing it. Like, what does that definition look like for you personally in your household? Say for me, it's the partnering, the attachment parenting and gentle parenting. So for example, we don't do spankings. We do logic-based discussions about cause and effect and consequences, um, more child-led, a lot of things. So um, even when there's uh, a disappointing choice that is made or something that goes against the rules, we have a conversation about like, what do you think is an appropriate consequence for this choice? So I'll give the example. He's nine. And so electronics are really big right now. And it is so easy for kids that age to accidentally or on purpose without permission make purchases mm. on devices. And so we had that come up recently where a consequence was made and he clicked too many buttons, made a purchase that was unauthorized and he had to come up with his own punishment. And so he chose, okay, no device for the rest of the day. And I spent $10. I'll do 10 chores to earn that back. Oh, well, that's really good. So I, I feel like in the early days, it's hard to teach, you know, cause and effect and natural consequences, but hopefully the more you practice it, the more that it becomes second nature. And then on the attachment parenting side, um, we did full, full term um, breastfeeding. Um, it was not at all my intention to do any kind of co-sleeping or bed sharing or anything like that. And that's just the path that our parenting journey took us down. Um, I did a lot of baby wearing when he was younger and even into his toddler years, which again was not how I pictured myself mm -hmm. parenting. I didn't think, you know, I grew up in a different environment where you don't, you don't see that very much. Um, and so that's my definition. It's more child-led following his cues. Okay. We do a lot of learning together. Oh, well, that's, that, that sounds really sweet. And I love it. You're like, well, this wasn't my intention. This is just kind of how it worked out. Cause it sounds like you're parenting the child as the child needs. Exactly. Without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? I had to look it up uh, yesterday because I I'm so out of the loop, but I guess I'm, oh gosh, darn it. I think I'm Jen X. I think you're Gen X too. If you have a 24 yeah. year old, I'm just going to do the math yeah. on that one. I have, a, I mean, it, like I said, it could be possible you're not, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as a Gen Xer, which, you know, is the best generation, obviously, because that's what I am. Yeah, uh, clearly. <laughs> how would you describe how you were parented? Is, is it similar to how you parent? Not at all. So for starters, I grew up in South America. So very different. And I was parented by, I had, a nanny until I was five. And then I was parented my, by my grandmother because my parents emigrated to the United States. Um, so at five, I was responsible for parenting my two-year-old brother. Mm. And our expectations were from sunup to sundown, you stay outdoors. You don't come in until it gets dark. The only time you get TV is if it's raining. Um also in a culture where you don't speak unless spoken to, children are to be seen and not heard. 
Um, you don't address anybody by their first name. It was very different. So we had a lot of freedom, but I don't think it was because it, it was a trust the children. It was more children need to be out of adults ways. Mm. Um, is it also like the adults need to work or people are just busy too? All of that. Yes. Yeah. All okay. of that. And so um, I was the oldest of the cousins. So I was responsible for all of the little cousins, even though the little cousins maybe were a year younger than me, but I was in the adult in charge at like, you know, seven and eight years old. I had to herd all of the cousins, which is so wild because now my child is nine and although we're in a very safe neighborhood and I trust him fully and I trust all of my neighbors, um, it takes a lot to be brave enough to trust him to play by himself in our own front yard or backyard. Um, so no, I'm not parented the same. I, I was cooking independently by the time I was nine. Hmm. And although I again, with the child-led parenting that I do, if he shows interest in cooking, we started cooking together when he was maybe two or three years old. He has his own cooking tools and things like that, but I would not depend on him to make a pot of soup from scratch on his own at nine years old. And those are some of the things that I was experimenting with as a nine-year-old. So it sounds like you didn't have a whole lot of time just to be a kid. Not so much. No. Yeah. No, not so much. And in some ways, I I love it because I learned a lot of interesting and valuable skills, like learning how to make a fire outside just by trial and error, um, learning how to cook rice outside in you know the fire that I had made, stuff like that. Hmm. Um, but I also was parenting very young and a lot of responsibilities on my shoulders very young. And was it just automatic that like the adults deferred to you? So whatever you kind of said went, or was there friction there between like, if you were parenting and let's say like you had to discipline somebody for something that there would actually be, you were worried about getting in trouble for what you did. I was in charge of making sure nobody got in trouble. Okay. So it was on me if somebody else did something or got hurt or anything else. Mm, so wow. that sounds like a lot. It, yeah, it was, but it was also a lot of fun. We, we got creative. We played with mud. We played with sticks. We climbed trees. We came up with every kind of game that you can think of that required running or a jump rope or, you know, mm-hmm. you just got creative. Hmm. So that was really fun. Well, it's interesting. We're probably pretty close in age. So I definitely had something similar where it was like, you're gone all day, you know, get out of the way kind of thing. But um Yeah. And I had a little brother. So like, I guess, you know, like after school, we were probably latchkey kids and like I was, but but I wasn't responsible for him. And the fact that like, if he got in trouble and he did something wrong, it wasn't on me. Like that seems like an awful lot to take on at a pretty young age. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I've like thought about it quite, quite as much. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I, that's what it was. It's just what it exactly. It's just how it was. Yep. Can you describe the work for you do for those that may not understand how you help new families? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as a birth doula, I work with families during pregnancy in preparation for their labor. Um, in labor, 
I support families. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that doulas are for a specific kind of birth, maybe more of an unmedicated birth center or home birth. And while that's true, in my case, um, I help families with every kind of birth that they wish to have, whether it's um, hospitalized birth center, um, home birth, epidural, non-epidural induction, elective C-section. Anybody that is choosing to have a baby, I am there to support them as a resource, as a source of information. Um, I love, I will always be an educator. So I love teaching my family's tools for figuring out the vision that they want for their birth and also how to communicate their wishes, their desires, how to have questions and answer sessions with their providers so that they are informed consumers. Um, one of the phrases that I use often is I want them to be active participants in their birth. Hmm. So they are make they're actively making decisions every step of the way. So I'm physically present for their births. And then as a postpartum doula, I describe my role as a super helpful grandmother without the emotional baggage. So <laughs> I like that. You know, the grandmother comes in and says, when, when did you eat last? Let's sit down and rest, go take a nap. But also like my opinions don't really matter how I parent or what I've done with my kid doesn't matter. How do you want to parent? What do you want your parenting journey to look like? How can I support that? So I help with also, you know, with the education piece of what's um, newborn, typical newborn behavior. What are the best practices for bottle feeding or if you're breastfeeding, how to support that? Um, but also some of the logistical things that still need to get done. Dishes don't wait just because you're recovering. Mm -hmm aren't going to magically appear. So a typical shift might be I take over baby care so that you can take a shower, eat a warm meal, take a nap, take care of you in whatever way you like to take care of yourself while I take care of baby and take care of the things that are continuing to pile up. Yeah. Now that sounds great. And it sounds like you've been a caregiver for such a long time. It's just in your nature to do that. Absolutely. What is your favorite thing about the work you do? No two days are alike. Ah. And I get to be present for the most joyous, one of the most joyous days in a family's life, regardless of how we get there, even if it's a tough birth, even if it's a long labor, we get to meet a baby at, at the end of it all. Um, so that is always magical. I am in awe of the human body every single time that I am in a birthing space. Um, and that feels really good. And then on the postpartum side, um, I really want families to feel empowered. I say all the time that families will figure it out. They don't need a postpartum doula, but I help shorten the learning curve. Mm -hmm. I give them tools to figure out their baby sooner than maybe they would have figured out on their own so that they're feeling more empowered by the end of our time together. Yeah, it's interesting. The longer that I've been in this, you know, realm and doing work, even as a lactation consultant, I feel like it's nice to be that third party observer that just helps them decode the baby, you know, and I'll always yes. be like, well, we're just trying to figure out who they are and let's, you know, but, but these are the types of things I've seen before. So maybe your baby would like, you know, X and Y thing. Um, and 
And it's so funny because I think, you know, I always try to do it so gently that I'm like not making anybody feel bad. Like, it's not like you didn't know or, you know, you, you're failing as a parent because you didn't know your child. It's more of like, let's just see who this person is. Who are they? Yes. Yes. I say that all the time that we sometimes assume that they are a blank slate and that the day that they're born is when life begins, but really they have been forming self-soothing skills in utero. They had a preferred position that they slept in inside. They are people already. And so we are figuring them out. They're learning us as much as we're learning them. And I, I'm here to help translate on your baby's behalf. You'll right. learn them. You'll learn their, their cues and their language. But if I can help shorten some of that, how empowering is it for both parties? Oh, for sure. What is your biggest challenge with the work that you do? I'll say on the birth side is the unpredictability of timing of things. Mm. So someone's due date is just a best guess. And the ultimate determinator of when a baby is going to be born is going to be that baby. So from a work-life balance is someone being due on November 15th means nothing because they could be born October 15th. They could be born December 1st. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So not knowing exactly when I'm going, when I'm leaving for work or when I'm returning from work is a little tricky when you have a young child. That's probably the the biggest piece. Mm -hmm. Did you work with a doula uh, prenatally or postpartum? I did. And I am so thankful that I did. I, um, did not know they existed until I became pregnant myself and I started research. I'm a proud nerd. I love research. I love reading. So I started learning about birth and pregnancy and learn about what doulas are. And I had a doula for my own birth and she was incredible. And she absolutely changed the course of my labor experience, labor and birth experience. Um, and she was an inspiration for me to make this transition into the work. Mm, okay. So professionally also then. Absolutely. Did you always want to be a parent? Yes. I think I had a lot. I mean, I parented whether I wanted to or not from, you know, five years old on, but it was always in my heart and in my nature. I love kids and I love babies, but I was intentional about my 24 year old is my stepson, but I was intentional about waiting to have a biological child until I was a little bit older. Mm -hmm. Um, but I absolutely knew I wanted to at least experience pregnancy once. Mm. Okay. At what age of your child do you think you really start parenting? I think you are a parent from the time that you make a choice to have a baby. Um, and I say that because there are decisions that are made in pregnancy that can have lifelong impact on your baby. So I think you're a parent from that point on, from pregnancy on. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what is your most embarrassing parenting moment? Um, I will share the experience of having a son who has had a birth worker as his parent for his entire life. Um, back in Zoom schooling days, he was in kindergarten and they were having Zoom gym class. Mm -hmm. And the teacher asked if for the kids to find a soft round object to practice their overhand and underhand throws. 
And she recommended like a pair of socks or just something, you know, soft, stuffed animal, soft, round. And what does my child find? Um, My basket of boobs. Oh, (laughs) I thought you were going to say a baby doll. The boobs are even better. (laughs) Yeah, a basket of boobs. Um, I use them for teaching. Yeah. And so they are... I have knitted boobs. I have crocheted boobs. I have rubber (laughs) boobs, different skin tones. And he thought nothing to bring a basket of small, round, soft objects to his Zoom screen to practice his overhand and underhand throws. That was that was pretty classic. Could the teacher even see him? I mean, like, did they even realize it? I mean, it was like 25 little squares on the screen. So I think I caught it before it was his turn to demonstrate (laughs) before he had the big screen. (laughs) That's really cute. But but also when you normalize breastfeeding, when you normalize bodies, in his mind, there was nothing inappropriate about a basket full of boobs. Yes, as it should be, right? (laughs) If you had friendships when your children were babies, how important are those to you now? And do you still keep in touch? Um, this was an interesting question to ponder because some of my best friends have been part of my life since I was in middle school and are still very much a part of my life since middle school. Um, and then there were a few really close friends that our friendship fizzled even from the time that I became pregnant because our lifestyles were so vastly different. Um, And they could not understand how I couldn't just leave my baby home to start a dinner or an evening out at 10 p.m. Yeah. I very specifically remember a girlfriend who didn't come to my baby shower, didn't come to um, meet the baby or anything else, but would call and ask for dinner plans or to meet out for drinks. And I kept saying, yes, but yes, I can have dinner, but can we do it at like 5 p.m. so that I can make it home by bedtime? Yes, I can meet for drinks, but can it be maybe at six or seven so I can be home for bedtime? And she said, when are you going to start having a life again? Hmm. And it was such a clear question of, oh, she doesn't think this is life, but this this is life and it is my new life. Mm-hmm. And they said, I probably will have to keep his bedtime in mind for the next like 10 to 15 years, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So it's a long road. If, yeah. So if that doesn't work, if you're waiting for me to be able to be to start an evening after 10 p.m., this is probably not going to be a a friendship for us. Um, And at that point, we had been friends for probably 15 years Mm. and really close friends. Probably I considered her one of my closest. Um, But that's where our roads had to part because she was so removed from my new world. And I was no longer interested in, you know, the kind of social life we used to have once upon a time. Right. Did you make new parent friends then? Like other parents yes. that were friends or other parents that were parent people that were parents at like the same time, like the same age? Yes. Yes. So um, I'm super thankful for those friendships because I feel like those people got it. Mm. When you say, "I'll yes, I can meet for breakfast sometime between nine and 10, 
they got it. Getting out of the house with a newborn is impossible. If you are, you know, following a baby led schedule, they wake up sometime between nine and 10. We don't have firm wake up times or firm, you know, they sleep when they sleep, they eat when they eat. Um, so my pediatrician had an awesome new parent group that met weekly with a variety of topics. Um, and it happened to be a bunch of us that were off on maternity leave. So I feel like we were both traveling the same road at the same time. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. And I'm so thankful for social media in a lot of ways. Um, there's a Facebook group for moms of children who were born in the same season of the same year. Mm. And so now he's nine and our evolution of our experiences, we've mm -hmm. been able to travel that together. So like today's topic was, oh my gosh, nine-year-olds are stinky. Who's already using deodorant? <laughs> it's true. It's like out of nowhere, they just start to smell and you're like, oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> so like to have another group of folks that you're like, wait, am I the only one that's experiencing this? How are you handling this topic? This is a trend that I didn't experience you know, 15 years ago with our older child. So it it has been super valuable to know these folks. And I feel like some of them, I've never met them and yet they're close friends because they're all over the country. Um, but we've traveled this road together. Yeah, I think that that, I feel like my son's 11. And so like, I feel like you hit the beginning of that. Whereas like my son, that really wasn't happening yet. And it was just like, there wasn't even that many groups in person either. Like I was in Chicago right. and there was like a La Leche League meeting once a month, which was like not helpful because at 10 AM it may not have worked right. The one time. Exactly. A month. Yeah. Um, and so I guess that's why I always made it like, you know, something that I've always tried to do as a business owner is offer opportunities for new moms groups and moms to get together because it is really hard to meet other people. And for some people, you know, the online interaction is great, but they actually need somebody like in person too you know, depending yes. on, you know, your style. And I, I feel like some of that's changed with COVID where there's people that are much more comfortable in that virtual space. And then there's other people that are like, I'm so over it. I just want to meet people and be in person, <laughs> yes. you know, yes. uh, which is pretty interesting. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I would say for my clients, um, the use of devices in a different way than for my child's generation and the use of devices. And what I mean by that is nine-year-olds, my child is one of the few in his friend's group who does not have social media, who does not have a cell phone, who does not have a TV in his room. So that's a battle of mm -hmm. we might be the only household among his friends group who limits those pieces of technology. Um, and then from my client's perspective, they're smart bassinets, they're smart bathtubs, they're smart um, cameras. There's all sorts of technology that's keeping tabs on babies which can be super helpful. And if you have a medically complex child, you may need a lot of data, um, but in some ways it can add another layer of anxiety when there's machines or machines and they sometimes malfunction and they sometimes are overly sensitive. So they that can add another layer of anxiety that may be unnecessary for some families. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like sometimes I go to a house of like a new client and let's say the baby's four to six months old and, you know, it's distractible and there's weight loss and whatever, and they're mm-hmm. still using the app and, you know, that's fine. I, I have no judgment on that at all, but I just always ask them, is this making your life easier or does it add to your stress? And if not, then maybe let's consider, you know, your baby's fine. And, you know, I mean, obviously I'm there for a reason, but, um, but I do agree with that. And actually back to the technology piece, my son's 11 and he just got a cell phone on Monday. We just finally did it. He was the last person and it's because he's in middle school. And I felt like at this point we were actually hindering his ability to have socialization because the friends are, have been, they've all had phones since they were in fourth or fifth grade. It's crazy. And so like, which I wasn't expecting. And so, you know, and coming from Chicago, you know, not as many kids need the phones as early because they're really not on their own. You know, your parents, like you're taking your kid back and forth and you're, you're hanging out with your neighbors or, you know, whatever. And so, um, but we really started to feel like, wow, we are actually like hindering his experience. So we just wanted him to get in middle school, get his feet kind of firmly grounded and then I overheard him on the phone with one of his friends saying, well, my parents finally trust me. And I made him mute it. Oh. And I said, no, it's not because we finally trust you. It is because a, he had a friend move away. That was his yeah. close buddy. And he's, you know, he's supposed to be gone for a year. I said, so therefore I felt like there was going to be a hole for you. And there's also a first dance coming up. And so I need you to be able to, you know, Halloween, I need you to be able to coordinate those plans on your own but it isn't a trust thing at all. We've, you know, we have always trusted you. Um, But it was interesting to hear his perception of how that was. And like, I'm like, oh, guys, you've been telling his friends this whole time. Well, my parents just don't trust me. Even though I think he's heard us say several times, these are thousand dollar (laughs) phones. So this, there is a level of like responsibility, you know? Um, But anyway, yeah. So I would just say, you know, hold out as long as you can, because I feel like- that's the plan. Yeah, he really did have probably much more of a low key summer and he's not doing any social media yet. Um, You know, it's literally been two days, but like, you know, I do feel like he did get a chance just to be and, you know, and, and to that, to us, that was super important. We also had a watch for him that he could contact us. We could contact him. We could see his location. So we felt like the safety stuff, you know, was covered. But yes. it was actually that socialization piece that's now like a whole different thing. So we got him the Google Calendar app and now he has to look on the calendar and we're like teaching him all these things. Like if something pops up in your email, check your email. And then like if you, you know, if you want to stay the night with so-and-so or have them spend the night, you have to look at the calendar first before you ask, you know? And so these things of like, okay, now we're a family unit and this is our next phase is let's figure out how to do these things together. Um, but totally. it was a big deal. And we haven't seen yeah, it since. I, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> well, I look forward to not being the social coordinator slash personal assistant for my child. Mm-hmm. Um, being a birth worker. Sometimes I have clients contact me on my personal cell phone from unknown numbers. So it might be like the husband calling from his work phone number that I may not have saved. So if a phone number, whether it's known or unknown, calls me, I'm picking up because I'm always assuming someone's going into labor. And so that was the interesting part this summer of the number of phone calls that I would get that would be like, hey, hi, Bronson's mom, this is so-and-so. Can I come over at 11? And I'm like, this is not an emergency. (laughs) You made me jump and it's not an emergency. I need a way to navigate that where 
Mm-hmm. The little people are not calling me for social right. activities as often. So, and it is I'm bittersweet, made- you know, it's like, it's a little bit of a letting go as is yes. all things in motherhood. Right. Yeah. But also it is a little bit of independence on your own. Cause you realize, cause I have a friend whose son's in high school and I was trying to coordinate him coming out to, you know, take out our dog. And she, and I was like, well, is he available there? And she's like, oh, I don't, <laughs> this is a good friend. I don't yeah. coordinate his schedule. You have to talk to him. <laughs> I was right, like, right. oh, I'm not at that phase. Okay. But I, but then I was like, oh, there's that phase though. Like, wow. Right. Like this is amazing. You know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's exciting. And just like everything else, a little bittersweet, but it's also, I really hope it's just going to help him to really blossom into, and now he's just texting, you know, and it's, great. I mean, you know, he and one friend are sending cat emojis, you know what I mean? Like this is nothing serious, but we also had to teach him how to like take a contact that we send you of a family member, save that contact. Cause at some point we don't want to see anybody you're texting with that. There's no contact saved because now we're going to have trouble. Like in case it is a stranger, right? So now it's like, there's other conversations of like, okay, you have to save that person's contact. Mom and dad always have access to your phone. We need to be able to see what you're doing just in case, you know, Um, and then, yeah. And then just hope for the best. So (laughs) I guess we'll see. (laughs) What has your child taught you the most about being a parent? So many lessons. I feel like it's, it's always evolving and I feel like I figure something out and something else comes up. Um, So as I mentioned at the beginning, I knew babies and I knew toddlers and one of my degrees is early childhood education. So I knew what the textbook said, but the reason I became a postpartum doula is because my child did not read those same textbooks. (laughs) And so we had a lot of issues feeding. I saw five lactation consultants in our early days. Mm. Uh, We had a lot of issues with sleep. Hence, we became the bed sharing family. Um, and I really knew something was wrong. My gut kept saying something is not right with my baby and very well-meaning experts were dismissing it as an anxious new parent type, a personality that has a million questions, but truly my child, I had chronic low supply. Uh, My child was allergic to 13 things. So no matter what I ate or what formula he had, he was a miserable child. And they don't test for that at birth. You have Mm -hmm. to wait a whole lot longer to be tested. Yeah, you basically wait till you have the first reaction when they start salads, which is scary. Right. Right. And even even after. Um, And so I learned that I have to listen to my gut and I have to listen to my instinct. And if my mama instinct says... My child is needing more that I have to seek a second and a third and in some cases a fifth opinion until we get to the root of it. And that has been a really good lesson that he has taught me because it served us well in his early, early um, feeding days. It served us well again when he was a toddler and there were some food restrictions that he was doing. It served us well again when he was in preschool and I had to seek early intervention screening, even though he was thriving in so many ways. Um, And even now that he's in school, continuing to be his advocate in learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that those are great points because I don't think most people realize how much advocacy you have to do on behalf of your child and not always, but kind of more often than you think. 
you know, right. whether it's because of, you know, allergies or special needs or just, you know, something emotional or whatever, but how you have to be like, no, actually I know my kid, this is not what would be in the normal realm for this person or I see right. them suffering and I know that this is not okay and I need to figure yes. something out, uh, which is very hard to do, especially when, you know, you are new and you are second guessing yourself, but also other professionals are second guessing you. Yeah. And so that, that's been my lesson that I hope to leave with families is you are the expert of your baby. Okay. So, so that leads into our final question. What's your biggest parenting yeah. advice to share with new parents? Um, so that, that one, you are the expert, trust your instinct, trust your gut and you, your body will tell you, even in pregnancy, I say your body tells you what it needs. So if in pregnancy, you have this urge to do this funky stretch, that's your body telling you your, your baby needs more room, your body needs more room. Um, but I'll leave you with an acronym that I share with my clients in pregnancy that I think suits us all well in any phase in parenting. And that's, I don't know if you are familiar with brain for decision-making or conversation guide. Vaguely, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So yeah. I'll go over it. So um, with any conversation, so it could be in pregnancy and your provider is saying, we need to have a C-section or we need to induce or this medication is required. It can be in, you know, um, parenting and your pediatrician recommends something, but B is for benefits. R is for risks. A is for alternatives. I is for information. So what additional information do you need to make a decision or instinct. What is my instinct telling me? What does my gut say about this choice? And N is nothing. So what if I do nothing right now? Or what if I ask for more time? Mm -hmm. So um, I find that it's a really good way to slow down a conversation to make sure that you have all of the information that you need to make an informed decision. Um, I mean, I think of even you know, in parenting, as we were switching schools from a public school to a private school and the private school teacher was saying, we think he should repeat kindergarten. Mm. And just because he's emotionally immature mm -hmm. and would benefit from one more year of kindergarten. And then we were transferring him to a public school and the public school teacher was saying, no, he would benefit from going right into first grade two experts giving mm -hmm. different opinions. It helped us have the conversation of walk me through why. Right. Let us right. think on it. And then we can make an informed decision, not just because you are the expert and you say so, but with all the information that we need. Well, and that had to be hard too, because as you mentioned earlier, it was during the pandemic. So, I mean, all the kids had learning loss and issues and they're still grappling with the things and, you know, so are the teachers right. and the education system and stuff like that. So yeah. Um, well, and I, I love that acronym. I think it's great. And I have heard of it before, but I couldn't have listed it off the top of my head. Um, yeah. but I think it is a great way to apply to parenting as long as you do have the option to slow things down, like you said, and just take a minute to have a conversation with somebody, your partner, your child, whoever it is about it all. Um, yeah. Because a lot of things seem to move very quickly, but it actually doesn't really need to. Yeah, I agree. And I often tell parents, um, 
whether it's in pregnancy or your pediatrician appointment, if there's a topic that's coming up, if there's something that is weighing heavily on your mind that you want to discuss, don't wait till the end of the appointment when the provider is halfway out the door to say, wait, I have a question mm-hmm. or wait, there's something I want to talk about. As soon as they enter the room, let them know. Before we go through the exam, before you exam examinate my child, there's a topic I want to talk about. I have some notes. Can we walk through this before we get started? It sets a different tone that you would like to have a conversation that we're not just here for. Here's an agenda. We have five minutes to be in and out the door. Do you mind taking a moment to talk with me through this issue? Right. And they have no idea until you say something. Right. Right. And so like, it is definitely better to bring that up at the beginning so that they know how to form their mind around it. And they may say, well, let's do the exam first and then we'll talk about it. But they have a minute just to kind of like, you know, create that focus and and look at the things that you're talking about and see the things, which is super important. Well, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us for episode 28 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. And thank you to our guest, Giovanna Otavalo, owner of Tiny Tusks Doula. I keep saying that wrong. I'm so sorry. All right. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You're very welcome.